Okay, picture this. Pretend you're having a conversation with an unbeliever, and they're like, how do you really know that God exists? And you're like, I don't know, because the Bible says so? Or, wait, I know the answer, because Jesus lives in my heart, right? No? Not convinced? Okay, so if any version of that example has been true for you, then trust me, you're not the only one, because that was not a pretend conversation. That was an actual excerpt from my real life. Welcome to episode 15 of the Faith in Real Life podcast, where we're going to talk about some ways that we can defend our faith. I'm one of your hosts, Amy Dalkey. And I'm another one, James Thompson. And we've got Pastor John here with us today. So we know that you have many choices on how to spend your time, and we're glad that you choose to hang out here with us. We're not entirely sure why you do, but we won't dwell on that. Well, the sermon this week was a doozy. I will start with that. It took a lot more thinking on my part afterwards. What I took away from it was, what do I do when I get those questions? And I've got, particularly in my office uh, at work, I've got a couple of people that I deal with on a daily basis. One is a, I guess, self-proclaimed free thinker. And then I've got someone in my office who is a Jewish person by cultural heritage, by birth, but they don't practice. And so it made me think about my interactions with them and so that's that's where I, I started started my my preparation for the podcast and how to deal with those situations, much like the ones that you described earlier. Just uh, well, what about this or what about right, this? And right. I actually poke the bear sometimes and I ask them questions like, "Why do you not believe?" or you know, "What is it that happened to you?" Something. <laughs> you kind of well, why are you the way you are? So and that's that's where I started my thinking for this week. Just from the get go, here's the thing. If you get into a conversation about thermodynamics, I'm not going to hang here very long because I don't understand it. And I can spell it. That's about it. That's the basis that I started from. But actually, it kind of made me think, if I don't understand that, then what can I talk about in terms of how we defend our faith? And I went with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because if you can, to some degree, prove that Jesus is an historical figure and and then kind of talk about some things around that, some valid points, then kind of prove God, because if you believe Jesus is who he says he was. I agree. The, 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 the science behind it all, and I, what, what I like about apologetics is, really, if that's what is going to convince you, there are ways to get there to whatever sort of floats your boat. So if you are a scientist and you are interested in that sort of, well, where did, you know, how did the universe start? Um, and then that's where the thermodynamics come in. If we're in a constant state of decay, then obviously it can't be eternal because then it would have decayed by now. Or and 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 you can go and and actually probably reach reach what what John was talking about this this on Sunday and and get to a point where the arguments that are being made for the support of that theory they don't hold water. And I think the more science advances, the more we are actually sort of finding support for a biblical worldview and a biblical understanding of creation. And so there's that. And then you've got, if you want to go just purely reason, you've got like a C.S. Lewis, the the mere Christianity sort of deal. How can we have these moral concepts that seem to be innate if we don't have 
you know, the, the yardstick that is outside of ourselves. And, right. you know, that's what I like about apologetics is sometimes I'm interested in, well, what about this? And so then you can actually find the counter arguments. We'll talk a little bit more about that right. for most of the arguments that are thrown at Christians. You know, if you're truly trying to find a truth, let's work together to find it. Well, can we start with a definition of faith? Because I know you mentioned in John, mentioned in the sermon, I'm pointing to him, mm-hmm. nobody can see that. Pastor John mentioned in the sermon that it's not enough to just say, well, I believe because I've got faith. I, I don't know, you didn't say that exact same thing. But the point that I'm making is we can have a faith that's not a blind faith because we have logic and reason. I mean, we can reasonably believe. Yeah, so my thought is that there there really is nothing wrong with believing just simply out of faith and there's nothing wrong with believing um, because you you have found the, the scriptures to be compelling there's nothing wrong with believing because you've had incredible spiritual right. experiences I mean when I finally made the turn to believe again part of it was I looked at the tradition and I said the, there is a long history of intelligent people who have decided to believe mm-hmm. I can too right you know but what I would, I think my point about faith was for the person who is not going to be swayed by what you tell them from scripture, who's not going to be swayed by what you tell them from tradition or from your own experience, then for that particular person, and there are a lot of those persons exactly. in our world, then we've got to go with this for them. It's probably going to come by reason. But even at the end of the day, even if you you can totally spell out this whole first cause argument, thermodynamics and all of that, you're not ever going to prove that the God of the Bible is the creator. My So what I was trying to get to at the end, you're still going, it is always going to be a matter of faith. There is faith involved, yes. Yeah. I didn't really... No matter who you are. Because yeah. we are never going to be saved by anything but grace right. um, through faith. Right. And I guess so. I didn't present that well because where I was going with it and what I took when you said it was that we can't just say, like if we're having a conversation with an unbeliever, we can't say, well, I believe because the Bible said so, because yeah. I've got faith that God exists. So Right. For a person it's, it's for whom the Bible work. means right. nothing, that, that doesn't help. Right. Yeah. But speaking of faith, Every human, all day long, operates on some level of faith. Yes. I mean, mean, we get in an airplane, and we have faith that the pilot knows what he's doing. We have faith when electricity will work. I mean, when we flip on a switch, right? We have faith in so many different things. It takes faith to believe that he is who he says he was, but it also takes faith to believe that he wasn't who he said he was, that that he was a myth. You're operating in faith either way. Mm -hmm. I think there's reasonable points to make that makes believing in Jesus more of a valid faith and not a blind one. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence supporting from even other religions. I think Islam mm-hmm. actually references him. I mean, to jump ahead if, if that's in there. No. But, but they even, they, they acknowledge him as a prophet, I believe. And then you've got the other evidence. And this is what's what's mm-hmm. great about Case for Christ, where they, you know, he takes it and he, he goes through the evidence that would, it, would, it would take to prove something piece by piece by piece from how the scriptures are actually very reliable and and what have you and then um the different testimonies that you have of other people that knew jesus and how soon after you know he died they wrote down or you know passed down their stories and so i think taking jesus and starting with jesus i think is a great point a great way for some non-believers or people to have doubts to to start believing because if you go there you can actually go get to if you get jesus everything else comes with it right Exactly. Well, so let's go through some of the 
the points that we could make in, I don't know if I want to say to prove Jesus, but one of them is that he is one of the most thoroughly documented people in ancient history, whether you look at Christian resources or non-Christian resources. Josephus refers to him. The vast majority of scholars who research this as part of their lives, right, like it's their jobs, Mm-hmm. The majority of those people will confirm that they believe that there was a real life Jesus. Like, he yeah. was a man who walked on this earth. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, amongst historians. I mean, you might have some whack job somewhere who's saying yeah. no, but the, yeah. you got people saying the earth is flat, you know. Yeah. It isn't. Uh, no, so yeah, what, what, I remember when I, when, when I went through the when I read the Case for Christ. That was one of the things that really I found so interesting was the time period between the accounts being written down and the the death of Jesus or the life mm-hmm, of Jesus mm-hmm. was decades. You know, you know, compared to some of these other texts, they get so much more credibility, and it was like a seven or eight hundred year span between. Uh-huh. You know, when this person died and then the writings of that person were actually written down. And so then we've got, you know, the Gospels were written. I, I wish I had, could could find it, but it was like 50, 60, 70 years or yeah, something well, like Paul that. Paul died in like around AD 70. And so the things that he wrote were within 70 years. I mean, some things aren't written until hundreds of years later, like after after the fact and not specifically to Jesus I'm talking about general his world history and I think there's writings of Paul that you know sort of allude to the fact hey if you have any question that this happened there's still people that saw exactly. him yeah, exactly. you know that knew this teachings and stuff so I mean that, that that was the thing that was really interesting to me when I read that not only do you have okay so Jesus ex- existed then you've got a bunch of people that converted I mean so that in and of itself sort of speaks to the fact that, you know, this person did exist. And then you've got this movement that survived even after uh, all attempts to, to stop it. I mean, not only that, though, I mean, there, so there are, like, this movement of people. Like, but Jerusalem was not a friendly place to be if you're shortly after Jesus' resurrection, right? Like, the Roman authorities are all over it. It's It's not going to be an environment where you're going to if you kind of have doubts and don't believe you're not going to be proclaiming the name of Jesus as the risen savior logically speaking unless you fully with your life believe that the persecution would kind of yeah. <laughs> it would make you make a decision one way or the other you know the, the persecution I think it's also interesting and that's one of the things that like each one of these guys died horrifically except for was it John? I mean they were all like uh, persecuted. No, like, wasn't John supposedly turned upside down in like a no, that, vat uh, of Peter. Oh, wow. No, like like dipped in oil like hot oil or something. Maybe that was a fiction book that I read. But I, I think that I read that. <laughs> it's a damn brown book. I mean I think hey, you may know differently but I mean the point was I mean <laughs> being a follower was not, you know, in your best interest. Right. I mean the persecution wasn't beneficial to be a Christian at that time. So the fact that this movement even survived mm-hmm. with that much persecution is is pretty impressive. That makes me think of when I was in Old Testament history, like on the very first day of class, a professor asked, why do we believe in Jesus? Why do we, why do we believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. And so you had a lot of answers that these are seminary students, so you're getting pretty, pretty good church answers 
you know, about, well, this is what he's done in my life. And, and so he kept pushing me and kept pushing. He says, you're not giving me any valid point. Why do you believe in Jesus? You believe in Jesus. Like, your faith is not an illogical faith. It's based on the testimony of the apostles and the witness of the prophets. Like, he used several examples, kind of like we are, we're doing right now. I mean, this was a, a group of people who, I mean, Peter denied Jesus, like, just shortly before his life is completely turned around mm-hmm. in a more hostile or equally hostile environment, mm-hmm. you know, where there's persecution rampant and his, his life is literally changed and he's boldly preaching and teaching. And so you have this group of people who are all of a sudden willing and, and end up do dying for what they believe. Well, the first martyr was Stephen, who was talking uh, mm-hmm. in front of the, was the Sanhedrin mm-hmm. and they stone him. That didn't stop Peter. Like, That's right. <laughs> and then, of course, everyone was impressed that these, you know, uneducated guys could be doing this sort of speaking in this way, and they were filled with the Spirit. But, yeah, so there's plenty of examples like that where, it, you know, it's just an, a, an amazing display. But there's also no—they've never been able to explain, like, critics. Critics of, I guess, Christianity in general haven't ever been able to prove that, like, the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. So, because, I mean, Jesus— Where'd he go? Mm -hmm. Where'd the body go? Yeah. And again, in that environment where, you know, the Roman authorities were all over the place and would have loved to have evidence proving that he didn't come back to life, Mm -hmm. if they could pull up a body, they would pull up a body. Well, and then I'm sure the guy who was guarding the tomb was killed. Probably. I mean, there wasn't any sort of like collusion. Uh, to, <laughs> to like an attorney. Yeah, to to let the the, the body go and mm-hmm. to to feed the story. I mean, there were real ramifications here that the you know that the body was was gone. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to, um, you know, all the people that saw Jesus after he he, res- he was resurrected. Right. I mean. And I, I looked that up, and I was surprised at how many instances there were. Like, I just sort of gloss over, like, he shows up, and he shows up with the disciples. Well, first it's Mary, and then a couple more, and then the two guys on their way to Emmaus, and then it's the disciples without Thomas, and then the disciples with Thomas. And then, I mean, he's, he sees a lot of people after he rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. Is that the right verb? Rises. rises right. Yeah, after he arose. After he arose. <laughs> we're so far from Easter that I'm getting the wrong <laughs> verb. That... There's a lot of witnesses that also just, there's just so many. I didn't, and I had totally sort of either forgotten. Well, but even coming from the critic's perspective, if, so there were so many people that saw him, you know, in that time period between his resurrection and, you know, his ascension, that if there were people who could prove those claims that he was alive were false, that they would be all over that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing... Mm-hmm that they've been able to come up with. So going back to those those people in my office, I ask them, and name's Liz, I don't know why I need to make up a different name. <laughs> I doubt she listens to the podcast. No, she doesn't listen to me at all. We have Liz and we have Sarah. Sarah is a millennial free thinker, and Liz is a non-practicing Jewish by birth Jew, I guess you, I don't know, Jewish person. Um, whatever the politically correct term is, I, I need. I don't want to offend anyone. Um, and so I asked, I asked Liz, I said, so... You know, do you believe in God? And I know you don't believe in Jesus. And and you know, do you believe that you know that God created the earth and all this other stuff? And I had asked her a couple of times about evolution. You know, and did she believe in evolution? She, and so she said, "Yes, I have ninety nine percent the same DNA as a monkey." And so I thought that was kind of interesting, and I may have made a joke about that. But so then I showed, I found an article that that is actually 
a very often used quote mm-hmm. that's from a 1975 article that actually looked at DNA strains that was pre-selected to see how similar they were. Mm-hmm. And they didn't fully map those things until 2005 and 2006. And mm-hmm. so what, what I find interesting is the arguments that, that sort of just for dismissing the Bible, and that's kind of what they do. Like, the Bible can't be right, so then mm-hmm. they, they dismiss the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one is sort of evolution creation. They're like, no, nah, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. And so they just dismiss it. But there's, there's actual scientists who argue, obviously, the other way. And then, you know, there's other arguments like, well, you've never had in nature where DNA just, you don't add DNA to things. So how can you have this sort of evolution where DNA is added? Like, you just don't have it. Mm -hmm. So you have other scientific arguments. Once again, I'm liberal arts. I didn't, you know, this is above my pay grade. And then uh, the other one was for, for the millennial. So the free thinker, it was sort of it's a very common theme of why do bad things happen to good people? Uh-huh. If there was a God, bad yeah, things wouldn't right. happen. Yeah. If there's a good God, bad. And I, I've had one or two conversations where there where I sort of just lay out, well, we screwed this up. I mean, this isn't mm-hmm. ideally what God had in mind. So yeah, this is a fallen world and things aren't great here. But that's mm-hmm. our cause, not God's doing. And but that seems to be a very popular. The, the arguments that you get are very popular. I mean, they're very popular. The same ones over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to, you can look. There are counter arguments to those things. You, the scientific stuff. You can find plenty out there on the internet that actual of scientists, actual bona fide scientists that have an opposite view of stuff. Mm-hmm. For example. How old is the earth? You, you know, you can have arguments on both sides. And the science actually fits both arguments. Mm-hmm. I was looking at one thing. There's a New Zealand. The other thing, going back to the, the Liz, she was talking about how, well, the earth is billions and billions of years old. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm fully in either camp. But I will acknowledge at least there's a, a volcanic eruption that happened in, in the 1950s or 1970s. And they took those rocks that were created during this volcanic eruption and they sent them off to be tested. And they came back carbon dating, which everything's based on carbon dating, as 3.5 million years old. So there are, th- there are discrepancies in the things that we put so much faith in, mm-hmm. carbon dating as to the amount of carbon that there is and that the carbon decays at a very steady rate, but that things can make that change and we don't know if there were atmospheric conditions that made it deteriorate faster. I mean, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's plenty out there that gives you some pause, but it just seems that people latch on and then they just dismiss. So, and I, I you know, the, the questions that we're going to be looking at over these next several weeks are all of the, all the normal questions, not the normal, it's, it's like the set list of questions that people who don't believe ask. Now we're not we're not doing that one that you said. Um, why do uh, bad, things, bad things happen to good people? Um, but we're doing one very similar to that, which is um, does God cause natural disasters? But these are these are the questions that non-believers pose to try to stump the Christian. My suspicion is that for many many people who are um, posing those questions. The motivation for posing those questions comes from from a, a, a situation in their life where something happened that was not positive in, with connection to church or to Christian people. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I absolutely get that. Yeah, I totally get that. And uh, and so uh, so part of my heart is like sad for the people who are who are stuck and unable to accept Christ. I'm trying. I, I am going to be trying in these these sermons to be addressing just with utmost care for the people that get stuck because 
this isn't really me wanting to take down the atheist and make the atheist look like an idiot or you know what I mean like no, sometimes people get mean like that anyway I just think about the the people in your office uh, that you've named and I just think gosh I, you just you wonder like what happened to you you know what did somebody do to you you know well and I think too as you're talking I'm this verse is in my head but I can't quite it's one of the Corinthians but it's the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers yeah and that's I mean when we get down to it that's the issue when Adam and Eve way back in Genesis in the fall we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and Satan took charge of the world because we gave him the permission to do so and there are still people that are under that deception. That's the issue. I didn't realize how organized atheists are. Like, I just figured... Yeah, they're on their game, right? Yeah, there's there's a website. There's a, there's an American Atheist Association. I don't know if it's, like, the AAA. I don't know if they get a little card or they'll come get you when you break down. But no, I'm being snarky now. But no, and so I, I went to the website. I was trying to just gather information. They have 170 affiliates throughout the country... They claim that atheism is a lack of a belief in God. They are out to rally against the theistic influence, which taints the definition of atheism, which hmm. the definition says it's a person who denies or disbelieves the existence of a supreme being or beings. And so they want to differentiate that. And both definitions sound the same to me, but apparently there's, there's a distinction that they want to make. And so they claim that atheism isn't a religion, hmm. although it has a set of beliefs hmm. of unbelief. And so if you look online, you'll see that there's this online battle between believers and atheists and like they like they're going to convince each other online because uh, that that's where it happens right yeah. so but the argument is well they want to they don't want to have a core of beliefs because then they don't have to defend anything so then the argument is always just the believer has to believe it has to prove that there's a god they never have to prove that there isn't a god i see and so i mean it goes on and on. it's just amazing and so one of the things was there's 17 kinds of atheists at least and these were pretty good these were the negative atheist lacks a belief in God. Positive atheist lacks a belief in gods, but affirms that there are no gods. Mm. So there's a slight difference. Mm. The unfriendly atheist believes no one is justified in believing that gods exist. The friendly atheist believes some theists are justified in believing gods exist. Religious, non-religious. The religious is pretty good. They're atheists, but they go to church. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got this too. Like Baptist, Methodist, mm -hmm. Catholic, like mm -hmm. Militant and evangelical is the one that I think is scary. Tries to persuade others to give up their the theistic beliefs. Right. The funniest thing I found was there's a website. It's like online dating. You can go to this website and meet up with, and I, I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't. You can give the website. Yeah, I'm not going to give the website. Meet other agnostics, atheists, humanists, freethinkers, and skeptics. Join a community of reason. And I think it's, it's the framing of the terminology that also helps them. Hmm. So if you don't embrace their beliefs, are you unreasonable? Right, I mean, exactly. it's that sort of thing. A free thinker, what's the opposite of free thinking? Well, well that's what I was saying at the very beginning, is that like ours is a reasonable faith. It's not some random thing right. that we can't back up. Right. Yeah, which was another, I, I think, another thing that I was hoping to do with the sermon on Sunday was to give our congregation confidence that we do have a reasonable faith, mm -hmm. that it's not just based on made up stuff that we just have to accept there there is a logic behind it that it's mm -hmm. um it is not just a matter of faith but it is primarily a matter of faith right. um also was hoping that people would invite friends who are on the fence and that this could be a helpful experience for people who are maybe kind of 
right on the edge. I was also thinking about high school students and, co- and college students who will have their thinking challenged. Well, the experience that you described on Sunday was one that I had when I was in school. Like, I didn't go to church, mm. whether I was severely dehydrated on Sunday mornings <laughs> <laughs> or what have you. But I just didn't go. I don't know that I didn't necessarily, that I, that I necessarily stopped believing. Mm. I just didn't think about it. Uh, and so if I did have a belief, then it became lukewarm, you know, which... And I guess at that point also, I really hadn't taken the reins of my own spiritual life. And so I was just still coasting from having to go... You know, my dad was a Methodist pastor, so I had to sit in the front row every Sunday. And so at some point, I think in college, I was like, I don't have to go at all, you know, and so... See, I still did. Because I felt guilty because my dad would call me every Sunday afternoon. Mm. Did you go to church? So, during my college years, I went to church because I had to. Mm. Well, I felt like I had to. And it wasn't until later until I developed my own. When I was in law school, Missy would ask me, did you go? And I'd be like, yes. I would go just for the sermon. So I'd show, I'd roll in, sit in the back, grab a bulletin in case she ever asked me any questions and be like, here's my proof that I went. And then I would leave. And then sometimes I probably just went and got a bulletin. That's kind of still what you do when she's out of town, right? No. I just watch it online. That's awesome. So I was a small town Oklahoma girl, raised in church. I wasn't exposed to different cultures. There's nobody but people like me around me in this town who largely believe what I believe, and if they didn't, then I wasn't friends with them. I go to college, and first day of my philosophy class, it was like, what? Like, what do you mean you don't believe the Bible? What do you mean? Like, it totally threw me off course that there were actually college professors that were going to talk about how God may or may not exist. That's just like a belief that some people have. I mean, I was rocked. Realized the world is a lot bigger than small town Oklahoma. I mean, by the time I graduated from college, my belief in God had basically dwindled down to zero. And what brought me back to church was not any kind of spiritual yearning at all. It was because I wanted to sing um, in harmony with other humans. And the only place you can do that as an adult is church. So I started going to traditional church just to be able to sing in in parts. Is that the nerdiest story ever? Wait, straight up, la, 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 or is this like a euphemism, or not a euphemism, but a metaphor for like being in community? You're no, like, I literally just wanted to be able to sing. Oh, sing. In parts. And, you know, in in traditional church, they have the parts written out in the, the hymnal, mm-hmm. and you can, you can sing the bass parts. And then I joined the choir because I wanted to sing some more, so... And that was the turning point. Like, then then the Holy Spirit started working on me. But anyway. <laughs> I did not know that story. I didn't either. Can I didn't even get to 1 Peter 3.15? Yeah, go, go for it. No, well, this is this is what made this also made me think about when we were talking about trying to be able to defend is uh, obviously the always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you to do with gentleness and respect. This, this led me to think of a couple of things. Going back to the two examples, I, I don't mean to go long, but going, going back to the two examples of Liz and Sarah, each one of them in their own way has had a conversation with me where they said, we like the way you do what you do. Like, we can tell that by what you do, what your beliefs are. You know, your actions speak louder than your words. 
so you know, I get it, and so it made her more, a little bit more intrigued as to what it is that we believe. And I don't know if did I mentioned the story about the the, the Christfish, Christfish story. You told me earlier. Oh, uh, so, so one of the conversations I had with Liz was we're driving in a car, uh, we're going to lunch, and there's a little Jesus fish, a little uh-huh. whatever you call it. Ichthus, is that how you say it? Ichthus. Yeah. Very well done, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus fish, and um, and she goes, oh, I hate those things. I, why do you have to put that on your car? She just starts going on this tirade about this Jesus fish on the back of this Buick, and I'm like, all right, let's calm down a little bit. Would you prefer a bumper sticker? And you know, what if it said Bucky's or her favorite restaurant? And she goes, well, that'd be fine. And I'm like, so this person has found something that has added, you know, something to their lives that they want to share with others, in a, in a you know, in a subtle way. Why are you so upset? And she's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I think it's one of those things. It really just is a gentle sort of nudge. And I, this verse makes me think of a defense of, uh, to anyone. So this also presupposes to me that you're going to be doing something in a way that's going to cause them to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Live the way you're supposed to live. Right. And these people will come because mm-hmm. you're on fire, because you're a light, because you're salt. They're going to... Right. It's gonna it's gonna spark something in them that they're gonna want to know more. Um, I still talk about it every now and then when I see one. I'm like, oh, I just start. Right. You don't have to understand the laws of thermodynamics in order to be saved. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if we did, so what's the topic? Something? It's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it is is all is religion the real cause of all the violence in the world, or all the wars, or I can't remember the exact wording of the question. But it's like that. Which religion? Baptist? Just any, I mean, the... Lutherans? You know, any religion. Has, is it, because the, the premise behind the question is, if if there were no religions, we would be living in a less violent world. That's the line of thought oh, gotcha. that people project. Gotcha. So. So, there's no scientific pieces to this? I don't think this will have anything to do with That'll science. Good. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I hope not, because it's not my favorite topic. <laughs> we need yes. to do our homework so that we can be prepared. Right. All right, until next week. Wish I had a dollar for every time someone said thermodynamics. The thermodynamics. Oh, yeah. I just like to say it, because it makes me feel <laughs> smart. Makes you feel smart.